When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Thanks, you guys, for joining us here. Doug and Shahan on this semifinal breakdown last week. It was Bama-Cincinnati. This week, it is Michigan-Georgia. We will tell you where each team has an edge, where each team has something to worry about, and players to watch on each team in this matchup between the Wolverines and the Bulldogs. And Shahan, I want to start a little bit out of order. Last week we did the edges first, then the worries. I want to start with the worry because it is the overarching thing. And I want to start with what I think is Michigan's worry. And the worry would be that these two teams are the exact same team. It's just that Georgia has more good players. And I initially felt pretty decent about Michigan's chances here. But I think we are trapped in a little bit of a vortex and some transitive property stuff that is not actually working out. Michigan versus Ohio State, that was a good matchup for Michigan. Georgia versus Alabama, that was a bad matchup for Georgia. I think Ohio State versus Georgia which if Ohio State had beat Michigan, this would be Ohio State versus Georgia. That would be a tougher matchup for Georgia. But Michigan-Georgia, I actually think, is a really good matchup for Georgia and not what Michigan would want to run into. So my worry is it's a mirror image, but for Michigan, the guys in the mirror are a little bigger and a little faster and I don't know. This does not seem so good to me for the fight in Wolverines. Yeah, I, I've heard people talking about the two playoff games and being like, oh, well, you know, Alabama, Cincinnati, I don't know about that one, but like Michigan, Georgia is going to be a game. And I'm just like a little like, maybe? I, I, I think you're right, right? I mean, Georgia's whole team is set up to stop the run, like at an elite level, like at a historic level. Is Michigan going to do anything with that information? I, I don't know. I, I, like, because, I mean, I think that in a lot of ways, uh, Ohio State, you look at their weaknesses. And, you know, they had many weaknesses this year. But on the defense side of the ball, right, they got beat at the point of attack pretty consistently. They over-pursued pretty consistently. Like like you said, they kind of played in the Michigan's hands in a lot of ways. So I, I actually had a, a kind of similar uh, biggest worry, which is, can Michigan be efficient passing the ball? Because when you looked at Alabama, what Alabama was able to do against Georgia to cause them so much trouble is that they took the game to the outside. They took the game completely out of that defensive interior's hands. They said, okay, Nicobe Dean, you're going to have to go run into coverage uh, and not be here to kind of help with a, uh, with Brian Robinson Jr. Uh, you know, we're going to try to beat you on the outside. We're going to, we're going to go to our receivers. We're going to throw a lot of screens. We're going to throw a lot of slants. And you have to make that tackle every single time and never mess up. 
I I don't know if Michigan can do that. I, I really don't know if they can. Um, the the receiver whose name is escaping me who got hurt uh, after week one. Ronnie Bell. Ronnie Bell. If they have a guy like that, right? If they have somebody like that, maybe I feel a little differently about it. But that that's a real concern for me that I don't feel like Michigan can come in and do something dynamic in the passing game. Now, maybe maybe the flip side, because we've talked so much about with Georgia, the possibility of them coming in and saying, all right, JT Daniels, this is your time. We're going to be dynamic in the pass game. Maybe Michigan does that with JJ McCarthy, right? Like maybe they do, but... I'm a little concerned. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I I think that I'm a little concerned that they're just going to be like, no, we're just going to run the ball more. We're good, but but it's different. It's not like it's not like those other teams you see. We're going to run the ball well. It's like a. Have you seen Arrested Development? Yes. Okay, so you know there's there's that scene where Tobias is talking to Lindsay and he's like, uh, and she's like, oh, does this ever work for people? He's like, no, these people just delude themselves into thinking that uh, that it would work for them. But maybe it can work for us. And like, I, I know that Josh Gaddis is a really good offensive coordinator. I know that Jim Harbaugh is a really good head coach who I think has proven that in a lot of ways this year. And this is going to be the moment where we kind of, I think, figure that out once and for all. If they can kind of come up with a counter that's not just running counter, by the way, uh, to kind of keep Georgia's run defense on its heels and and try to stretch them out in any way. Uh, you know, and I do think that there's a scenario where this game is just like a seven to three football game. And that's probably better for Michigan if that's the case, but yeah, I, I'm a little concerned. So Harbaugh likes to win the time of possession battle, right? Some coaches don't talk about time of possession anymore. Harbaugh does. And they did that effectively against Ohio state. I love the eighties. When when you look, I mean, part of what's like what happened at Michigan this year, it's like Harbaugh kind of got back to Stanford Harbaugh, like run the ball, tight end stuff. Like it, he found himself again. When you look again, the, 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 these teams passing the ball this year, Georgia is 226 of 350. Michigan is 230 of 359. Like their passing numbers are identical. When you look at the balance now – Michigan has run a lot more plays because they are so methodical. So they've had, they have 548 rushing plays. Georgia has 480, but they both average 5.3 yards per rushing play. Georgia, 9.2 yards per pass play. Michigan, 8.3 yards per pass play. But the breakdown, Michigan, 60.4% of their plays are run plays. Georgia, 57.8% of their plays are run plays. Okay. That is a pretty – that's like a 60-40 lean on the run, which, again, is not crazy, but is also not exactly typical. When you look at passing attempts per game among good programs in the country, I just ran down a couple. Bama is averaging 37.4 passing attempts per game this year. That's 16th in the country and how often they throw it. Ohio State, 37.3. That's 17th. Texas A&M, 30.8. That's 64th. Michigan State, which is a pretty heavy run team, Kenneth Walker III, your guy, 29.2. That's 82nd. Iowa, 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 28 point. That's like a parrot. Oh, Iowa, 28.8 passing attempts per game. That's 86th in the country. Michigan and Georgia, out of 130 teams, Michigan, 
27.6 passing attempts per game. That's 102 in the nation. Georgia, 26.9 passing attempts per game. That's 103 in the nation. They don't throw it that much. Bama and Ohio State, like sort of the banes of their existence the past few years, again, both of them throw it. For Georgia's defense, Bama throwing it like that was a bad thing. For Michigan's defense, Ohio State throwing in like that was kind of a good thing because they were able to stop it enough with Aiden Hutchinson getting after the passer and then control the game on the ground. But I like I can't believe it, Shahan. Like I know they I knew they were kind of alike. I can't believe this. And I really do think a lot of this is gonna come down to, and you mentioned Josh Gaddis for Michigan, the offensive play caller for Michigan versus Todd Monken, the offensive play caller for Georgia. I don't think they're going to fool anybody. They both have starting quarterbacks who are like, okay, with backup quarterbacks that are probably more talented and maybe you're going to play. But I think whether it's Todd Monken or Josh Gaddis, who can get the most out of what they obviously like to do, a wrinkle here, a wrinkle there, balance creativity within the run game, go in with your bread and butter but not being stale with it, I think an offensive play caller has a chance here, man, because, again, there are some great defensive players on this field. But I'll tell you, man, there's no Jamison Williams on either team like there was for Alabama. There's no Garrett Wilson for either team like there was for Ohio State. And it's just it's just wild to me. And I just don't know that just to, do you agree? So, like, is there a general rule? If you're a team, do you want to play an opponent that's exactly like you? Or do you want to play an opponent that's different than you? Because I think for Michigan, the similarities seem like a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's pretty simply in this kind of performance, the issue is not just that they are the same teams. It's that Georgia, like you said, has more talented players doing the same thing, right? Now, the one thing that I'll say, and and this actually takes me to my biggest Georgia worry, is that when the one difference that you see between these two teams is that they both obviously love to run the ball, but when they run the ball, they're trying to accomplish different things, I guess I'd say, right? Georgia runs a lot of inside zone. They, they're, they're, you know, cause, cause really when you look at Todd Monken, where he's been at his best is scheming up past games. In the run game, he kind of keeps it pretty basic. I'm not saying that he's going to not do anything different uh, against this Michigan defense, but like it's, it's mostly like, we're just going to pancake you that, you know, we're going to run some ISO blocking stuff and just try to beat you one on one because you can do that because we're freaking Georgia. Michigan seems a little more aware of not their limitations because their offensive line is really good, but of who they are. Right. And so I think that one thing that Josh Gaddis has done that's different than previous years, because I think that some Harbaugh running games are a little more like that Georgia game historically. I, I think that one thing that Josh Gaddis has done is again, he runs a lot more misdirection in the run game, right? Like he, he's coming at you from different angles. He's trying to hit the edge in different ways. He's trying to create one on one matchups. Uh, I think that he is much more versatile in the way that he schemes up the run game than what Todd Monken has done to this point. I'm not saying that he is. I don't want to make a value judgment on, on who Todd Monken is, but I think that that will be an advantage for them. And actually, the funny thing is, right? You, you look at, uh, expected points added, which is a stat that kind of takes into account, uh, field position and situation and basically gives it like a number value, right? Like if you look at EPA per rush, Michigan, uh, Michigan is one of the better rushing teams in the country at 27th in EPA per rush. Georgia's actually only 79th 
right? They're not a super efficient run offense. They're a productive run offense because they do it so much, but they're more of like a, this is just in my head because I was writing a preview yesterday. You know, it's like Minnesota, right? Minnesota's just trying to like bash you over and over again. And they don't care that they're inefficient. That's not really the point. The point is that they're going to keep coming at you. And Georgia's not to that level because Georgia's got multiple five-star running backs. But uh, but they are a little more like that. And fun- that means, funnily enough, they've been more efficient in the past game, mostly because they've only had to unleash it when they've needed to. And so... I think that that's going to be key for Michigan. And that's my probably concern for Georgia is you gotta, I think you gotta be a little bit more flexible schematically in the run game. I think you need to find ways to create ISO opportunities to get, to, you know, cause another part of this too, cause I'm just going to go into this game assuming that Stetson Ben is going to be the starting quarterback and that Cade McNamara is going to be the starting quarterback. It might change, but that would be a, a little bit of a departure. And it's kind of hard to project stuff that we haven't really seen to this point. Um, I think that, I think that one thing that Georgia needs to do too, and this goes with sort of my schematic versatility point, is like, if you are going to be an efficient pass team, you can't have Stetson Bennett stand there, right? You cannot have him stand there against this, uh, this Michigan pass rush. You have to get him on the move. You have to get him throwing on the run. You have to move the pocket in some ways. You have to also have your own versions of misdirection, or you just have to make really quick decisions. Uh, so, I mean, that's the one thing that I will credit Michigan is I think that their schemes offensively are a lot more versatile. And I think that it gives Josh Gaddis a little bit more to play with, whereas George has been pretty straightforward since they've had sets and been in that quarterback and have kind of uh, eliminated the pass game in a lot of ways. No, I, th- I think Gaddis has been really good with that. They'll, they'll run Hassan Haskins like their power back, Blake Corum. It gives you a little more Donovan Edwards as a true freshman, a little more dynamic. They'll get receivers involved in like little jet sweeps and misdirection stuff. They're, they are really smart about it and, and they can keep you off balance without throwing the ball. Uh, you said the magic word. So let's do it. Stetson Bennett. You said his name. <laughs> so like that's my Georgia worry is Stetson Bennett. That's the worry. The quarterback. We talked about this before. It's so why we tried to wait to do the Georgia one because we're like, maybe the last season I could be thinking. Kirby Smart talked to reporters, to Georgia media on Monday. I was reading the transcript of that. He said, we're going to play the guy that gives us the best chance to win. Oh, so they're not going to play Stetson Bennett. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is. I feel terrible. There is nothing funnier to me. Then ragging on Stetson Bennett. It literally, I don't, I don't know why. It's partly because his name is Stetson Bennett. It's partly because I do a voice. <laughs> it's partly because I, I, the TV walk on dramatic music kind of thing. And at the end of it, <laughs> right, you're playing a walk on at quarterback for a team trying to win a national championship. I get it. It's a wonderful story. Your backup as a five star recruit, maybe play that guy, but. I have to think JT Daniels is going to be involved. But the thing that you said, one of the reasons they keep playing Stetson and Bennett, one of them, A, because a lot of that sort of inefficient pound the ball with the run game, they then work play action off that. And he's pretty good at that. No, and, and you look at EPA per pass, they are number four in the country in EPA per pass. And the number two thing is they think he's more mobile than JT Daniels. And if Aiden Hutchinson's going to be chasing the quarterback around, I think they'd rather have it be Stetson Bennett than JT Daniels because they think maybe he can move a little bit. I think they're wrong, but sure. <laughs> well, of course they're wrong. They're going to play him. Of course they're <laughs> But I do think – so here's here's the very, very difficult thing. He actually made some decent plays against Alabama. 
But that game, that was a tie game at halftime. It's 31-17 in the second half. It's still a game. And he throws two awful picks, and that's it. They also went for it on a fourth down, like kind of near the red zone on a fourth and nine, where they blitzed like three guys, and he had to throw the ball away, but he couldn't make a play. But he just, he just, he just made killer mistakes. And so, if you make two killer mistakes, Michigan might win. If you make two killer mistakes, so I get that he's a little more mobile. I get that he works the play action. He's nine and zero as the starter this year. Again, JT Daniels was the starter. He got hurt. Stetson Bennett came in. They have not put JT Daniels back in, but JT Daniels between last year and this year is seven and zero. Yes. So and also also nine and one. He did lose the SEC title game. Oh no, I'm I'm sorry. Right, he lost the game that devastatingly ruined their season and set them up for failure. Other than that, other than the one that he single handedly lost that I just was mentioning. Uh, Yes. uh, Other than that, uh, Miss Lincoln, how was the play? Yeah. So. I just, it's very confusing. I guess Kirby Smart is trying to make sure he doesn't tip anything off, right? I mean, you don't have to announce your starting quarterback two weeks before the game is played. I have to think JT Daniels is going to be involved, though. But but he's it. Like, he is, like, to me, the worry, he's the weak link. Is he not? Like, is he not the single weak link on a team with a kind of weird group of receivers that still get a little bit healthier, a tight end we're going to talk about. Their offensive line is actually pretty good. Their defense has a bunch of guys that fly around. The The quarterback is the weak link, and Cade McNamara is not great either. But I don't think in this game he will be as prone to devastating mistakes as Stetson Bennett will be. And I just ha- – I just – I can't – I can't get away from it, man. I can't get away from it. And it's a, it, this is a big time decision for Kirby <laughs> Smart. I mean, it's a, Nick Saban won a national title with the quarterback switch when he took out Jalen Hurts at halftime and put in Tua Tonga Vailoa. I, I think something like that is on the line for Georgia here. And my bet will be, would be at the moment, no, my bet is he starts. And you said the same thing. But they can't ride. They can't ride with him. If they go three and out, three and out to start the game, they have to put in JT Daniels. If he throws a weird pick on the second drive, they have to go to JT Daniels. They can't wait for the hook. They have to have JT Daniels ready at the first sign of Stetson Bennett looking like bad Stetson Bennett. Yeah. It it feels like <laughs> it feels like Georgia went through this season and then obviously JT Daniels gets hurt and they're like Man, we're not just winning, but like with this story, we could have a Disney movie made about us. And we're like, we're so good. We don't just have to win. We get to choose how we win. We're going to win with the former walk on and, and we're going to carry him off our shoulders and we're going to finally make a version of Rudy. That's a good movie. And I think that, uh, then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, right. There are other good teams in the country that can beat us. And, uh, no, I mean, cause the thing is, right. I mean, I'll, I'll, to be quite frank, I'll make this argument about uh, past Michigan teams too. Georgia is the perfect advanced stats team because when they play against mediocre competition, they pound them into dust. But they played their first top 20 team against Alabama and got ground into dust themselves, right? And and that's something that we've seen with Michigan, where they they are awesome against teams that aren't good. And then as soon as they play someone good, all of a sudden they're in trouble. Now, this Michigan team has not been that, right? They beat Ohio State. They they did the thing. Um, 
I'm curious to see, right? Like, like that's what makes this matchup also very difficult for me is that I don't feel like Georgia's all that battle tested. I don't know how good Georgia is. And I mean, Michigan, you know, they, they have certainly more battle testing than Georgia does, but like, I don't, I don't know how they're going to respond against a team like this. They haven't played a team outside of Ohio state who doesn't really try to do the things that Georgia does, especially defensively. They haven't played a team that's this talented. So like, while they should in some ways be the most known teams as like the stalwarts who have been here forever and with these good players that we know are really good, I almost don't know what to do with this. Okay, so we're 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 worried about Stetson, but <laughs> yes. those are our two worries. When we come back, we'll talk about where each team can feel good about something happening in this game next on the College Football Survivor Show. In case you missed the last College Football Survivor Show. When you look at the college football playoff, you've got four programs with coaches who have been there a pretty long time. You can keep flipping out coaches. The reality is that's not going to fix anything until you commit to a guy and kind of do something long term. So I think that the programs that do commit to somebody and do have somebody long term are the ones that are always going to succeed. I mean, you talk about the four programs that are in the SEC that have had coaches for a long time. It's Nick Saban, of course. It's Kirby Smart. It's Jimbo Fisher, who they've committed to for a long time. And you want to know who the most consistent sort of non-power program in the SEC has been? It's Mark Stoops at Kentucky, right? So those are the four. They are the four bastions of success. Now, the flip side, of course, is that because they had success, they can stick around. But uh, I think that more programs around the country should probably look at what Kentucky's done with Mark Stoops and kind of understand their lot in life maybe a little bit better. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts for exclusive College Survivor Show bonus episodes. Doug and Chahan back. All right. I, I I always get mean about Stetson Bennett. Let's stay with Georgia and say good things about Georgia. I think a real edge here for Georgia is that run defense. I said the linebackers, but I think you also apply it to the defensive tackles. But you look at N'Kobe Dean, Quay Walker, Channing Tindall, and Nolan Smith. They run around. They tackle. They all are really highly graded in PFF. Nicobe Dean is the best linebacker in the country. He won the Buckus Award. Ohio State has no good linebackers. And when you saw that game, Hassan Haskins from Michigan is a really tough, hard-nosed physical runner. And Blake Corum is a great compliment to him. But I, I can envision something, Shahan, where like they just they just never get anything going because these linebackers are in every gap. They are chasing down every wide run when Josh Gaddis tries to get a little bit creative. And then you throw in Devontae Wyatt and Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis plugging up stuff in the middle. And I, I can envision a world where like Michigan just can't run because these linebackers behind those defensive tackles are so good and make every stop. And Nicobe Dean has 15 tackles and is like, okay, well, there was the Georgia defense. Because that is not like that's not what happened against Alabama. This Georgia defense, I thought, which is why again Ohio State's the much tougher matchup for Georgia. I thought you have to go over Georgia; you can't go through Georgia. Jamison Williams, again, rewatching Georgia Alabama, it's Bryce Young and Jamison Williams, and they did get some pressure, and Bryce Young just stepped up and made plays. And then Georgia had given up like five plays or like the whole year of 50 plus yards in the passing game. And Jamison Williams had two by himself in one game. So they give up two 50 plus touchdowns to like the fastest receiver in the country. 
Michigan doesn't have that. And then you let these linebackers go on the Michigan run game. And I just think, I just think these linebackers are awesome and it's going to be trouble for Michigan. Yeah. I went a very similar direction. I, I said sort of that defensive interior for them because you mentioned it. I mean, Jordan Davis, Devonte Wyatt and Jalen Carter, those guys don't play a lot of snaps because they have so many guys that they can just rotate in and out to cause havoc. And so I almost think for Michigan, like the middle of the field almost doesn't exist in the run game, right? Like they have to get to the edge. And and when you're racing to the edge, that's when you really talk about those linebackers, right? You're probably not going to beat N'Kobe Dean to the edge all that consistently. You're probably not going to beat Nolan Smith to the edge all that consistently. That I think that's a real issue for, for Michigan. And that's, I, I mean, again, that's why I go back to, uh, they have to, they have to find a way to take this game to the outside. They can't just play this game in a phone booth because like it's Superman stepping out of that phone booth, right? Like it's, it's trying to run into the phone booth and then Clark Kent's over here. And what, I mean, you can't really do much with that. So the, I, I think that Georgia really is poised to be able to take advantage of that defensive interior to cause a lot of issues to, I mean, cause, cause Michigan's offensive line has played well this year, but they have not faced a challenge, anything close, especially in the interior. They've faced some better pass rushers, but not in the interior. You know, they haven't played a team that's going to collapse the pocket. They haven't played a team that's going to plug up every gap. They haven't played a team that is so fast that they can react when you try to get to the edge. I, I don't know. I, again, it just feels like a really bad matchup for Michigan's offensive line to have to go against the defense that can rotate three or four guys who are probably better than anybody that they played on the interior uh, during their entire time in the Big Ten. Again, we're, we're just... I think a lot of people, and reasonably so, you're judging Georgia off the Alabama game. Yes. But the Alabama game, they that defense, right? Oh, that Georgia or Alabama took it to that Georgia defense. Bama scores 41. It's two touchdowns of 50 plus to Jamison Williams and a pick six. Yes. Are 21 of the 41. Yes. And Michigan doesn't like Michigan doesn't have any of those things. No, I think no, they, they, they need explosive on. plays. And I mean, so, so the one thing that you say, right, is that Blake Corum has been an explosive running back when he can get into space. So like, I think that he, pro- I would expect that Blake Corum has a breakaway touchdown run. I think he's going to have a 50 plus yard play. The issue is I think that might be the only one, right? I, I think that you need to have two or three plays of, 30 plus yards in this, probably more than that. You probably need three or four plays of 30 plus yards in this game to really keep the Georgia defense on their heels to the point where you can beat them. And I'm just worried. I I don't know that they have another guy, especially on the outside. I know that I keep coming back to this, but I don't feel like they have a guy who's going to stretch them on the outside. Uh, And I don't know that Cade McNamara is going to find him if they do. Right. I mean, that's been a real issue for them. So like, it's funny. <laughs> it, it does feel like, like Michigan's like a player away on the outside from being like a title, like that good of a team, right? But at the same time, I certainly don't think that Georgia convincingly has that guy either. Michigan, surprisingly to me, does have nine pass plays this year of 50 yards or more, but they kind of have like everybody has one kind of randomly. Like Roman Wilson is a guy who can like, make a play and get free. And they have a couple different guys like that who will sort of pop up and make a random play, but they don't have a, they don't have a go-to guy on the outside. And I, I just think 
I'm sure Josh Gaddis, who was in the mix for some of this head coaching stuff, it felt like maybe if Tony Elliott had turned down Virginia, maybe Josh Gaddis, according to some reports, would have been the guy for Virginia there. I bet you he's watching film and gritting his teeth a little bit. Like he's really got to find something because I just think I just think it's tough. All right, all right, that's enough. Now we're being mean to Michigan. They're good. They're good. Michigan's good. What's your edge for Michigan here, Shahan? Uh, well, I'm so glad you asked that question that way. My edge for Michigan is the edge. I, I think that they're going to really be able to get around the edge. They have two of the best pass rushers in college football, two potential first-round guys in Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojaba, which, by the way, I will say, not to be mean to Michigan again, I feel like I'm going a little crazy seeing Aiden Hutchinson at the top of draft boards, but, you know, that's okay. I, he, he's he's a top-10 pick, but number one feels like a lot. Uh, but they, they are really good on the edge, right? I mean, they have gotten after the passer like nobody else. I think they're going to make Stetson Bennett's day absolute hell if he does try to stand back in the pocket and do things. Um, and I think that they're versatile enough. I expect to see some unique formations from Mike McDonald, right? I expect to see – maybe we'll see some odd, right? Maybe we'll see them kind of line up a little bit more inside. Maybe we'll see them move to around a little bit. I, I'm curious to see how he kind of uses those chess pieces because I think that they're two of the best chess pieces that he has. I agree. That was also my thing. But And the interesting about this is, is that Hutchinson and Ojabo, I think, are an edge against anybody, right? Because Ohio State has some big-time tackles that are going to be high NFL draft picks, and they got their business done against those guys, right? And I do think they... They flip-flop sides. It felt like I wasn't as much of a believer of Ojabo early in the year, but I really like the pairing because you don't know where they're going to line up from play to play. And Ojabo's a speed guy, and I think he gets he gets tackles worried about getting beat around the edge. And then they face Hutchinson, and then Hutchinson can bully them a little bit and go inside. And then they get bullied by Hutchinson, and they're trying to make sure they like are sturdy in their pass pro, and then here comes Ojabo again, and he's beating them around the corner. And the, the, the back and forth, you can almost see the tackles, their heads are swimming. And and that it's the it's constant, but it's different because they do change all the time. And it's the pairing. They both are double-digit sacks. It's funny, you look, Georgia actually has more sacks than Michigan this year. But Georgia has like five guys with four. And Michigan has two guys in double digits and like nobody else with more than two and a half. So this is all Hutchinson and Ojabo. And they've got to figure out a way to get to the quarterback. But when we talked about the Alabama-Cincinnati game, we pointed out like some of the real weaknesses other than Evan Neal on the Alabama offensive line. The Georgia offensive line, I know, had some issues against Alabama, but they're pretty good. They don't have an obvious weak link. They're two tackles, Jamari Sawyer and Warren McClendon. Sawyer's number two in the SEC in PFF grade for tackles. McClendon's number 17, but they, for instance, Chris Owens, the Bama right tackle, according to PFF, has given up 36 pressures this year. Now we're being mean to him again for two podcasts in a row. Just context. Sorry. I'm sure he's a lovely person. 36 pressures. The two Georgia tackles have given up six and two. That's how different that is. So they are not like vulnerable to this. Sawyer was a second team, all SEC. Justin Schaefer at left guard right next to him, a second team, all SEC. 
their veteran Sawyer was actually out for like a month and came back for the Alabama game. So that's good for Georgia that he's back. And they also, the, their right guard and their right tackle, both of their first names are Warren. And Warren is my fake name that I use when I use a fake name. You just, you know how sometimes you have to use a fake name. <laughs> no. You know, like sometimes you're just like in a situation. It's like, I'm not going to give my real name here. I'm going to give a fake name. I always say Warren. The best example I have of that is just going to Starbucks and not wanting to explain what Shahan is. But uh, no, I've never been in that particular situation. No, no, no. I mean, not like in a bad way, not a terrible way. Just like, you know, like you're meeting a guy, like you're doing, you know, it's like, yeah, what's your name? It's like, uh, it's Warren. So I appreciate Warren. I don't like being uh, in situations where I can be found out that easily. Like, it just seems like it would be really easy for me to get figured out if I just gave fake names. Don't I? I could get. Can I get away with Warren though? Don't I, don't I look like a Warren? I got a little Warren vibe to me, don't I? There's a million white guy names that you could all get away with, but I don't know what it is specifically about that. I, I don't know. I I, have, I just want to reiterate. I've never been in a situation where I'm like I should give a fake name right now. <laughs> so I just I, I'm in on the Warrens. I'm in on the double Warren right side of the line for Georgia. So like this is this is an edge for Michigan because their edges are so good. But it is not really a Georgia weakness. Just like it, but it wasn't really an Ohio State weakness, and Aiden Hutchinson still won the game. And Ajabo still made him nuts. So you don't have to have bad tackles for the Michigan edge rushers to have huge games. And I do think we all came around on this. It's I, I, I do, I understand your point about Hutchinson, that, listen, you look at like the all big 10 team. It was Ojabo and Hutchinson made first team all big 10 defense for Michigan and Daxton Hill in the secondary made it. It's a little bit like, I think they stand out because they're so clearly the best guys. And also I just really, really like Josh Ross, the the Michigan linebacker who made a huge stop against Ohio state, really good big 10 linebacker, but it's kind of thing with all we talked about all year with Georgia. There's so many great Georgia defenders that it's harder to differentiate them. But Nicobe Dean is certainly one of them. Jordan Davis, Finishing the top 10 in the Heisman voting is certainly one of them. But if you are saying the Aiden Hutchinson love fest is maybe 20% out of control now that he finished second in the Heisman, he's being talked about as the number one overall draft pick. And like, I'm not sure that he's Chase Young. I'm not sure that he's, you know, Will Anderson, who's going to be the number one pick in 2023 i i kind of know what you're talking no i think that it just feels like like aiden hutchinson's been good all year i mean we had our all-america call before the ohio state game right and he was already on on our list like and obviously if if he wasn't we would have put him on our list after that game i have no issue with him being a heisen finals i think that's great but like I, w- I guess we got to see how he tests, right? Like that's going to be the big thing. But it, I'm just, it just feels like may- maybe this all comes back to I just feel like people are overthinking the hell out of Kayvon Thibodeau, like just just being like, oh well, we saw him and he wasn't that. Like no man, this this <laughs> this guy changed everything about Oregon this year, and they're going to be so much worse next year for not having him. And and same with Kyle Hamilton. I mean, you don't usually draft a safety number one overall. I'll, I'll certainly say that, but I don't know. I I just. Did not, uh, you know, I, I did not see him, you know, sort of this very workmanlike pass rusher as being like, oh, this is the can't miss number one overall draft pick. But also, it's kind of that kind of draft too. Yeah, right. No, no real, no like 
Joe Burrow or Trevor Lawrence at the top of it from a quarterback standpoint. Yeah, it'll be an interesting draft. And we'll talk about that, I'm sure, in the offseason here on the College Football Survivor Show. All right, so we agreed the Michigan strength. We're kind of in the same general idea of the Georgia strength as well. So let's go to players to watch. Let's start with Georgia. Who's your guy? My guy is the guy who came back for the first time against Alabama, and that's George Pickens at wide receiver. I, I think that he is the guy for Georgia's offense who has the best chance to just hit, right? Because because you know that Zamir White's going to be doing his thing at running back. You know that Brock Bowers is going to be doing his thing at tight end. I think that George Pickens, independent – again, I, I don't really want to get into the quarterback thing because I just think that – Again, it's going to change everything if that happens. But, you know, if Stetson Bennett is the starting quarterback, I still think that George Pickens is the kind of player who's proven that he can win these one-on-one matchups. He can cause a lot of havoc in the secondary. He can have a breakaway touchdown pass. Uh, you know, again, he, he was rusty when he played against Alabama because he hasn't played all year. He's going to have practice time to kind of get himself back into shape. So if George Pickens can kind of get to – 85% of what he's been in previous seasons. I, I think that that could be a game changer for Georgia's offense. So when you look at the snap counts from the SEC championship game, Georgia had six receivers who played between 37 and 20 snaps. Pickens played 20. Jermaine Burton played 37. That was the most. But Pickens in his 20 snaps had the most targets of any Georgia receiver. He had five targets and 20 snaps. They had guys who played like 30 snaps and didn't get a target at all. So like that, you can tell how much they're leaning on Pickens. And again, they had like sort of a deep ball back shoulder throw to Pickens early on that I was like, well, he's back and it's over. And then it was like, no, that is actually, he's only going to play 20 snaps. It's not that. Uh, Jermaine Burton is a guy that they have relied upon, but like you can tell, A.D. Mitchell is a guy that they have relied upon as a freshman, but like Kiaris Jackson, they've relied upon. They've just been searching for it all year, though, just mixing matching. Lad McConkey is a guy who stepped up. He, uh, Kirby Smart mentioned he kind of, I guess, had an injury in practice or something, but he said he should be fine for the Michigan game. So they're still going to rotate guys through there, Shahan. But Pickens is clearly the guy that they believe in the most, that has the best chance to make big-time plays. I guess the question is when when you're picking George Pickens as your guy to watch for Georgia, do you think he has to play a decent amount, more than 20 snaps? Does he have to have more than five targets? Does he have to be impactful for Georgia to win? Because he's been the wild card all season with everybody kind of expecting, like, well, wait till they get to the playoff and he's back. Does he have to be back? I think so. So let's just say that that uh, Georgia plays 70 offensive snaps. Uh I think that he needs to be on the field for 35 to 40 of them because I think that more than anything else, you just need, you need him to make a big play or you need him to set up a big play by being a threat, right? I, I mean, I think that's the big thing. And, and with the time in between the SEC championship game and the playoff, I feel like there's enough time for him to do that, for him to get his conditioning back, to participate in real practice. Cause you know, during the season, you're not, practice practicing right I mean you're game planning it's really focused on an individual week you're not trying to install things you're not trying to get back uh, I think that this is an opportunity with him having several weeks off to have a chance to get back so you mentioned it I mean to be on the field for that few snaps and to still get that many targets I mean 
that's what it's about, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's the idea that he's going to get open. And the other thing too, cause, cause you look at, uh, you look at sort of the target grades. The, the other guy who got a lot of targets, of course, is Brock Bowers because he's in the middle of the field. Uh, he's my guy. He's my guy to watch for Georgia. For sure. For sure. No, and it makes perfect sense. But like Brock Bowers is very much the, you know, when we were talking about for, uh, for both Alabama and Cincinnati last week, right? It's, it's more about trying to take what's there. Whereas I think that George Pickens is more about, trying to take what's not there per se, right? It's trying to take, uh, it's trying to capture an area of the field that Georgia otherwise would not have threatened. It changes the entire way. I think that Michigan has to play defense. If George Pickens does go out there and just hits on one or two of these big plays. I agree with that, but Bowers, the reason I picked Brock Bowers is I think he's the best offensive player in this game. I don't think that's an exaggeration. I didn't want to pick is, tight ends for every single one of our uh, uh, for every single one of our picks. I think yeah. that's the biggest thing. <laughs> to, to to which is a credit to him. He's a true freshman. He's one of the very best true freshmen in the country. I think he was first team All American on some teams, right? As at, at tight end, I mean, he's as good as any tight end in the country, if not the best tight end in the country. But it also is some indication of how sort of defense heavy this game is that on the defensive side of the ball, you've got Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo and Jordan Davis and N'Kobe Dean. And on the offensive side of the ball, you have Georgia's true freshman tight end, right? That again, Hassan Haskins from Michigan is a really good running back, but it's just, uh, he, I think could be just like, like dominate the game. I I think he could have 15 catches. Like, I just think that if they're going to hunker down and win with their defense. But, you know, Michigan has a good defense too, and they got to throw the ball a little bit. I mean, it's what they've done all year. I mean, he's he's like simultaneously like their safety valve and their most dangerous guy. And so especially if it's Stetson Bennett, like he he's just the guy that they have leaned on. And, again, he's we know he's really good. He leads them with 47 receptions and 791 receiving yards. Nobody else on this team for Georgia has more than 430 receiving yards, which is, I mean, that's a pretty stark difference. Um, I, He's a really good football player right now. I think it's possible. He also has 11 touchdowns. Nobody else on the team has more than five receiving touchdowns. I think it's possible that, like, by the end of the playoff, he's, like, super famous. <laughs> that that he's because like we love everybody loves George Kittle and Rob Gronkowski and Travis Kelsey. Football fans are sort of conditioned for the like the dynamic tight end, right? And he's been sitting there for this Georgia team that defense first. And I just I just think he might have 28 catches in the playoff or something. And that like it's people are going crazy about this guy. So it's obvious, but I think he might even level up. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and to be clear, I, I think that whatever the prop that is for, for Brock Bauer's catches, give me the heavy over, right? Like, I think that, that they are going to be constantly looking at him. The flip side, though, is, is I do think that Michigan's also going to be expecting it, right? I, I think that Michigan, outside of stopping the run, which certainly will be their top priority regardless, I, I think that they're going to expect Stetson Bennett to constantly be looking for that safety valve. And I think that Brock Bowers is going to be that safety valve in basically every single case. And this actually takes me to my player to watch for Michigan. It's Daxton Hill at safety. We really are doing this podcast too much together because that's also <laughs> my guy for Michigan. I, I don't know. 
Well, it's like, hey, hey, let's start a podcast. Let's try to find <laughs> now. Maybe you guys can debate and disagree on stuff. And it's like by the end of the year, it's like, nope, we just share a brain now. Cool. <laughs> That's a scary thought. Uh, so, no, but, but for me, it's Jackson Hill because I think for Mike McDonald, this is this is the chess piece, right? I mean, we we know what these defensive linemen can do. We know what they're going to do. I think that Jackson Hill is going to be able to kind of be moved around in a way where his talents are, I guess, best used. And I think in a lot of ways, it's going to be causing havoc for Brock Bowers. I I think that he could be brought down to try to take away some of that middle of the field in a lot of ways. Because, I mean, I'm I'm just trying to envision the game, right? I think what's going to happen a lot is Georgia's going to snap the ball. It's going to be a play-action situation. They're going to, you know, fake the handoff to Zamir White. Uh, Stetson Bennett's going to step back, stand uh, all five foot nine of him tall in the pocket, and uh, and then he's going to constantly be under pressure and just look for Brock Bowers immediately, right? And so I think that there's going to be a play where he tries to find the safety valve of Brock Bowers in the middle of the field and Daxon Hill picks him off because he just sees it coming, right? Um, and, and maybe that's, maybe that's the, the straw that breaks the camel's back that gets JT Daniels into the ball game too. But I think that Daxon Hill is just going to be moved around to where the, the havoc is per se. And I do expect it's going to be in that middle of the field. And so I think that, uh, I think that he needs to have a really good game. I think he needs to be big in run support as well because this is a really good Georgia run offense. Um, you know, I, I think that he's the one guy on this Michigan defense that you think if he plays his cards right, he can do everything in a way for this Michigan defense. You saw the pick six Alabama safety Jordan Battle had in that Georgia game, kind of like lurking in coverage, breaking on a ball. And it feels like you you go watch some Dax Hill highlights. This guy makes plays like in the middle of the field all the time, whether he's in man or zone, he's around the ball. He can stay with a guy in man coverage. He lurks. He's, he's diving to catch tipped passes kind of thing. And yeah, I mean, you, you can envision him baiting Stetson Bennett into a throw, like being that playmaker kind of thing. So I do think for me, I did feel a little bit like, well, I think like Brock Bowers is the key guy, but actually he might get maxed up with Daxton Hill a lot. And he's a key guy for Michigan, but that is. I mean, there's going to be a battle in the middle of the field over this stuff because that's where a lot of Stetson Bennett's money has been made. A little bit of play action stuff, and then boom, here's the tight end over the middle. And as you said, Michigan is definitely going to be aware of that. Um, okay, we'll take a last quick break here on the College Football Survivor Show. Come back, final thoughts on this Georgia-Michigan semifinal next. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, as we said, Shahan, we're not making our picks now because we'll do that the week of the game. This line opened at seven and a half. Georgia favored by seven and a half. Last time seeing now it's still seven and a half. And the the one stat again, just to reemphasize what we were some of the stuff we were saying. The the Jameson, like I know this is not an Alabama podcast, and we already talked about Jameson Williams. Jameson Williams just is like a stick a dynamite for a defense and they just dropped like okay so we called uh the georgia defense a swarm of bees earlier this year well they're also maybe like they're like a school of piranha right and this was one of those like where you go fishing with the stick of dynamite and they threw J- the jameson williams stick of dynamite into the pond and it exploded and like all the piranha died and they all floated up to the surface and it's like how did you kill so many press like one stick of dynamite man you don't throw a bunch of lines in the water and try to catch the piranha one by one. 
You just drop a receiver with 4-2 speed is going to have 180 yards receiving on them. And it changed the perception of Georgia. But there's that Georgia team still in there, that Bama game. Alabama gained 536 yards on 70 plays, 7.7 yards per play. Jamison Williams had 184 receiving yards on seven catches, 26.3 yards per play. The other 63 Alabama plays gained 352 yards, which is 5.6 yards per play, which is good, but it's kind of normal. So it's like, well, what's gonna, what's Georgia going to do? You just take away Jamison Williams. That's all. And there's no Jamison Williams in this game. I just think my mind changed on my study here. Shahan, that my initial reaction when the pairings came out was, I like Michigan's chances here. And then when you really dig in on Georgia again, they are who they are. They had a bad game against a rival where they were favored and there was pressure on them. And Bryce Young and Jamison Williams, as it turned out, were the perfect answer to this Georgia defense. And Michigan doesn't have those two guys. And then we're back to this Georgia defense is one of the best defenses we've seen in college football in 10 years. And I just don't know that Michigan has the offense to do much about that. So my mind changed as I dug in on this. I think Michigan's in a tough spot, man. Yeah, it's it's definitely tough. And I mean, the thing that you say is that, you know, you look at Alabama, you mentioned Jameson Williams. The other thing too is that, uh, is that Tennessee who scored 17 against them, which was the previous high against Georgia's defense. Cedric Tillman had 200 yards receiving in that game. So, like, they are susceptible to a big play receiver in a lot of ways. It's just that Michigan probably doesn't have that guy, right? I mean, that's that's the big issue. That's why I go back to if they have Ronnie Bell, maybe that changes this game. Maybe they're Ronnie Bell away from really being competitive in this game. Now, I, I give the schematic offensive edge to uh, to Michigan's coaching staff. I think that they've proven that to this point. I think that they're going to be dynamic in the run game. It just becomes personnel for me that I'm worried about. I, I just don't know that they have those guys on the outside. And even if they did, I don't know that Cade McNamara or even JJ McCarthy, who's still a young player, is necessarily going to be the guy who gives it to them. Now, I'm curious how they manage that quarterback position too, right? All this talk about uh, Stetson Bennett, all this talk about JT Daniels. I mean, I am curious how they sort of work in JJ McCarthy too, because they need to hit on a couple home run plays. That's going to, I think, define this game for Michigan is if they can have – how many breakaway plays they can have. They're going to have one. I think that Blake Corum's going to have a breakaway run. I think Blake Corum's going to finish with over 100 yards rushing. Can they get one from a receiver? Can they get one from a tight end? Can they get one from another running back? That's, I think, going to define this game because, I mean, the the reason that I – don't hate the line is that I think that this game could be so low scoring that Georgia could dominate this game and it'd still be within seven points. Um, but like for Michigan, they just have to find ways to generate points. That's something that Clemson was unable to do in their 10 to three loss. And that's something that Alabama was able to do obviously in their 41 to 24 victory. So where do the big plays come from? And I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that. I will say I, I was at the Big Ten championship game when when Michigan destroyed Iowa. And and that was that, you know, like hey, they beat Ohio State outdoors in the snow. This was fast track inside. And they look good, man. Like they ran all over Iowa. And again, that is clearly Iowa doesn't have nearly the talent that Georgia does on defense, but you know, like like Michigan kind of took it to them. And so 
that that was doubling down, I think, on on that performance against Ohio State. That like it, it was proof again of like, listen, man, like this was not like a one time thing. This was not one good day. Um, this was this was Michigan being a really smart um, offense across the board. Roman Wilson had a 75 yard uh, touchdown for Michigan in the Iowa game. They ran a, uh, they scored a touchdown on Donovan Edwards, the running back on a, on a halfback pass, right? They had, they ran a flea flicker against Ohio state. I do think to your point, not that George is not well coached because Dan landing, the defensive coordinator just got a head coaching job based off this. I just think Michigan has been exceptionally well coached this year across the board. And so I think they have a chance to dial something up. Yeah, the the big concern for me, right? Because you talk about they go and beat Iowa forty two to three, look really really good while doing it. the The number that worries me is that you take out that halfback pass touchdown, and Michigan as a team is seventeen for twenty seven for one hundred seventy five passing yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. Like that's not good, right? Like that that's not good. And I was, I think, a comparable type pass defense to what you're going to see from Georgia, right? I, I mean, they're they're definitely, I think, a little better against the pass maybe and not as good against the run. But, like, when you're watching a comparable kind of defense really kind of give Cade McNamara a lot of hell, that's that's a concern to me, right? Because I, I don't think that they're going to be able to run for 6.2 yards per carry against Georgia. I just don't think that they're going to. And so I I hope that this game ends up being a little more uh, dynamic uh, on the Michigan side than I fear that it's going to be. I, I don't want to make it sound like I said that wrong. The Donovan Edwards 75-yard pass was to Roman Wilson. So that was the same play that Roman Wilson caught that one from Donovan Edwards. But they, but they just – they got out to an early lead. But they did look – like Michigan looked fast and athletic and dynamic in that Iowa game. So that that was a credit to them. Like I, when I watched that, I thought, "Yep, that travels. That looks like that can give Georgia a game." But a lot of it is when they run it well, then they don't have to throw. So some of the statistical stuff with McNamara, like he had a big game against Michigan State, right? Because he sort of needed to. Like sometimes they they don't throw it because they don't need to. If you think. Georgia is going to stifle their run, not maybe slam the door, but slow it down. Then they are going to have to throw, and then can they? And then we're back to that quarterback discussion again on both sides of the ball. I think it's play callers, and I think it's quarterbacks. And and that is, I think the play callers have been pretty good, and I think the quarterbacks have been pretty questionable, and I think both are, that might swing it. And and to, to wrap that up, it's quarterbacks and it's play callers. And if it's not quarterbacks or play callers, then Michigan la- loses this game big. Like that's that's kind of the formula. If it's going to be a game, it's quarterbacks or play callers. If it just ends up being sort of this this rock fight, Georgia, I, I just think comes away easy from that. All right, that is our breakdown of the Wolverines and the Georgia Bulldogs. That's in the Orange Bowl. On December 31st, we did Alabama-Cincinnati. will be in the Cotton Bowl on December 31st. Did that last week. Again, next week, come back. Just look in your feed. Uh, we're probably going to do like four, maybe? Four pods next week is kind of maybe the plan. We'll, we'll see how that goes. But we want to give you more because the plan is to kind of be there. So as it stands now, I'm going to Miami. As it stands now, Shahan's going to be hanging out uh, around the folks at the Cotton Bowl. And then we'll be bringing you sort of live podcasts of stuff happening hey we just talked Aiden Hutchinson 
Hey, we just talked to Desmond Ritter. Hey, we just talked to Nicobe Dean. Hey, we just talked to Jamison Williams. Here's what they said. Here's what it means. Here's the latest. And we'll bring it to you on the podcast here on the College Football Survivor Show. But for now, thanks for hanging out for this Wednesday podcast. Again, read Shahan at CBS Sports. Get subscribed, get subscribed, get subscribed. If you came across this and you're not subscribed, just get subscribed so you don't miss anything next week because we're bringing you extra stuff. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.